0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Unorthodoxy podcast. My name is Duncan and this is the last episode in our very brief series on Jungian typology. The aim here has been really just to distill some core ideas around Jungian typology but if you want to go deeper I have a few recommendations for sources you can consult in the show description. In this episode I want to focus on using the Jungian model as a way to think about Self-understanding and a little bit of personal growth stuff too, and I'm going to do this by referencing my own type as a case study. I'm an INFJ, and that happens to be the same type as as Jung, the guy who invented this stuff. Hopefully, by doing this, I will not only give you a sense of how I approach this particular typological model, but um, I hope to also give you a sense of how to approach thinking about how you work and who you are first off though let me talk just very briefly about the primary way that i use jungian typology i use it as a heuristic or shorthand for understanding what's happening in terms of learning and deciding very simple remember jung's model is best at this telling us how we gather and organize information that's learning or perceiving and how we make decisions about the info we've gathered and organized. That's got to do with judging and deciding. I tend to have an issue with any use of this model to try and explain more than that. Obviously, there are many nuances that go with learning and deciding, and we've covered some of them in the previous episodes, so the model still manages to be pretty weighty in its explanatory power. But I would be careful of being overly behaviorist in using this model. I like to use my understanding of the different functions and the model in general primarily as a way of taking responsibility for how I make my way through the world. The reality is that, generally speaking, each of us has in the region of three really decent functions and five bad to almost non-existent functions, and this means that we tend to make excuses for what we can and cannot do. Intuitive types, for instance, are likely to find dealing with very real-world sensory things a little difficult, again generally speaking, but this doesn't mean that they get to shirk responsibility for real-world things. And if you're bad at working with people, for example, that doesn't mean that you're not responsible for getting better at working with people, and so on. If anything, recognizing the weakness of your type becomes a way forward for engaging even better with what you're prone to neglecting. Remember that each cognitive function in your mind works suggests a bias, and while bias can be great, it often needs to be acknowledged in order to be overcome, depending on what you're looking at, I guess. And I think the Jungian model is superb for helping us to do this, rather than just forcing us to operate in strictly predictable ways that are true to our type. The cognitive functions that you have that are really working well can compensate for the ones that you have that are not working well. So there you have my primary principle, use the model to notice how you can take better responsibility for how you live in terms of learning and deciding. The second principle and the way that I use the model is this, try to properly understand how others are thinking so that you can, A, appreciate their gifts and B, be compassionate concerning their blind spots. They are their blind spots because they can't see them, after all. As with my stance on the Enneagram, which I spoke about quite a while back, the point here is not to be overly judgmental about how people ought to be, according to you, uh, and even how they're supposed to conform to a particular stereotype. Uh, My being an INFJ type and an Enneotype 5, for instance, offers me and others clues concerning how I work, but none of that is anywhere close to the whole story or the real story. I actually like to keep in mind George Box's idea that all models are wrong, but some models are useful. Well, we need to figure out how this model can be useful to us. With that in mind, I'll explain here how the various cognitive functions in the INFJ work together, and then I'll talk from my own experience on how this has helped me towards better self-understanding, as well as uh, talking a little bit about personal growth there will be details that I leave out because um, I also don't want to bore you to death with too much detail. So first off, it helps to look at your type's primary flaw uh, since this will clue you into some of the main challenges you face in the world. Generally, the INFJ's low point is the cognitive function known as extroverted sensing, or SE for short. When you think of SE, think the real world. In NI-dominant types like INFJs and INTJs, SE is, well, you can think of it as broken. Either it's taking in too much or taking in too little or somehow a bit of both at the same time and not necessarily in a, in a balanced way. Its resources for handling sensory input are alarmingly limited. And for this reason, NI-dominant types tend to find the real world overwhelming at times. The boundary between the self and the world is flimsy at best and this means that most of the time everything goes in without the poor NI user knowing what to do with it or what to make of it. It can take an awful lot of sensory information but has generally speaking no idea what to do with all of the information. My one INTJ friend, uh, also NI dominant, and and I often talk about our so-called inferior SE experiences since we share the same. Shortcoming. So, for example, the experience of a large, overly brightly lit shopping mall during the Christmas rush is for us one of the most overwhelming and torturous experiences possible. The world is often, in a way, overexposed for this inferior function. The sun is often a little too bright, the colors a little too vivid, the noises a little too loud, and the boundaries between things a little too blurry. If I'm ever in the position of having to look for my keys, I can literally be looking at them on a counter full of stuff and I just can't see them. Or rather, it's a struggle to differentiate the keys from everything else. I joke with my wife that I suffer from something I call fridge vision because I could be looking in the refrigerator for something and it's right there in front of me, but I somehow can't see it. And of course, maybe this has something to do with the lower chromatic variation in male vision, uh, which is a real thing, Uh, but at least some of it can be put down to inferior SE. It's not that I'm clueless about the sensory world. It's just that I can't seem to make anything of it when there's too much of it going in. And yes, I'm not just talking about visual input. This has got to do with all sensory input, auditory, olfactory, haptic, relational, and so on. Whatever type you are, Maybe you're one of the very gifted few who doesn't have a totally useless inferior function. But even so, it's good to be aware of the fact that most people do have an inferior inferior function, which is a core weakness pertaining to either learning or decision making. If your dominant function is a learning function, S-I-S-E-N-I or N-E, then your primary weakness will regard the opposite aspect of your learning. But then at least you have two deciding functions in your cog- cognitive stack, and and that means that you'll find it easier to self-critique and examine a problem from more sides. If your dominant function is a deciding or judging function, that would be T I T E. FI or FE, then your weakness will regard the opposite aspect of your deciding and you will struggle like mad to imagine a perspective other than the one you already have. Dominant or single decider function types, those are IPs and EJs, also tend to struggle more with social anxiety than dominant learner types, EPs and IJs, which I think is rather interesting. It has to do with not knowing how to fully account for the perspective that is not its own. Which is all to say, when you've figured out your type and your cognitive functions, it helps to notice what your inferior function is right up front. You may think this is an overly negative approach, but often this is what we fixate on anyway, whether consciously or unconsciously. What we feel we lack is often what we project out into the world and critique in one way or another. Uh, or maybe it's what we find ourselves grumbling about from time to time. But another, perhaps more important reason for noticing this inferior function is that it is also, kind of paradoxically, the thing to go to when you need to relax. This will not be about overwhelming your inferior function, as is the case of me, say, going to a shopping mall at Christmas time to experience what hell might be like. Rather, it'll be about trying to Do this calmly in small doses. Make use of the lower resolution capacity of that inferior function. For NI types, this will be about immediate calm sensory enjoyment. Walks in nature, meditating, using the senses, a good meal, cup of amazing coffee or tea, physical touch, light exercise, calm spaces with a gentle hum for noise, that kind of thing. Interestingly enough, it is in the positive use of the inferior SE that NI types actually manage to better use their horrendously slow dominant NI function, about which I will say more in a moment. So in general, here's what I would say for the inferior functions of each type. I'll point out the weaknesses first and then very briefly describe one way to understand what could be useful with regard to going uh, and finding something relaxing to do. ITPs have inferior FE, so large numbers of people will tend to stress them out. They do need to commune with others in small doses to relax. You'll notice that in general, my stance towards using the inferior function is that it needs to be in small doses. ETJs have inferior FI, so they're going to be people who struggle with overly emotional types, but they also need to somehow get in touch with their own values, and yes, Feelings in order to balance out. IFPs have inferior TE, so they're going to tend to get stressed out when they have to fit into the way that others do things, but they need to relax into getting things done in small doses. Practical stuff is really good for IFPs, even if the practical stuff involves a measure of conformity. EFJs have inferior TI, so they will tend towards illogicality when stressed out, and they will tend to find over like overwhelmingly nitpicky bits of information rather stressful but they do need to take time to think through what is working for them so that they don't burn out in service of the tribe or or get completely overwhelmed when other people think differently from how they do. INJs have inferior SE as we talked about so they need to uh, find relaxing sensory inputs to find rest ESPs have inferior NI, so spending time meditating for them is really good. Diminishing sensory inputs is a great idea for them. ENPs have inferior SI, so they will struggle to conform with traditional ways of doing things or conformist patterns in the real world. But they need to get in touch with their memories and some nostalgia to relax, as hard as it may be re-watching an old movie. You loved, uh, maybe a good idea if you're an EMP type. Then, lastly, ISJs have inferior Ne, so they will find futurist exploration stressful. Constantly thinking about the future is is the worst. Is the worst for ISJs, um, but when they need to relax, it is helpful for them to get into some kind of a fantastical world. Um, so imaginative exploration is good um, and a lot of ISJs enjoy the realm of imaginative fiction. Now with that in mind what about the dominant function? Uh, So I'm obviously again using myself as a case study. The dominant function of an INFJ is NI or introverted intuition which is uh, shared by INTJs and it is the auxiliary function of ENJs. This is where we NI-dominant types go most easily and naturally, and it's where we feel most at home. NI is an inward-orientated pattern-making process, and it combines and connects various disparate concepts and tries to map and centralize information into a comprehensive, although not often clearly articulated, system. When things violate the pattern incongruously and unexpectedly, NI types will laugh spontaneously and out of nowhere. And no one will know why. Um, I imagine my own inner world as being a bit like a large hall full of fairly loosely floating ideas which are glowing because that's cooler to imagine. The data is organized, kind of, but not in any clear or systematic manner. The hall is closed and it has fixed edges, but there is a near infinity of ideas contained within it and also a near infinity of possible combinations. I'm always vaguely aware of many things that I'm thinking about, all, always kind of hovering around there in my mind. It's, it's very seldom that I'm only thinking of one thing at a time, um, <laughs> unless I'm doing practical work, in which case I have to think of one thing at a time, otherwise I will break something. I'll be pondering something or anything really, and then suddenly out of the blue, an epiphany will strike me. I'm actually working on a book, um, as some of you know, and I've been struggling to figure out a solution to a particular conceptual problem for nearly a year now. And just last week, an epiphany hit me, and it all made sense suddenly and unexpectedly, which is really cool, but it's also frustrating. I, I had to wait a year for that epiphany to strike. As I said, NI is incredibly slow. And the constant interweaving of ideas doesn't always produce the desired "Aha" moment, but when the epiphany does strike, it is quite wonderful. The picture that I do have in my head though, is never static for the n i user it is constantly rearranged and reordered, although the ideal is not to have the picture be totally replaced by another one. What would be better, what would be better is for the current map of the world to be expanded. And, and with more detail filled in. When NI dominant types don't have enough time to be calm and to let their NI processing happen, it's extremely common for them to begin to suffer from insomnia. I often find myself waking up at two in the morning knowing I haven't given my head enough time to contemplate what it wants to contemplate. And I do know that quite a few of my SI dominant type friends suffer from this similar problem if they haven't had enough time to catalogue their thoughts in as neat a fashion as they would like. NI can make huge leaps, and because it's not a rational function, the leaps are not always logical. It's only when the rational functions come into play that reasons can be sought for those leaps. The function that is most easily observed by the outside world is the INFJs FE, or extroverted feeling, which involves, as I've explained, a concern for the values and well-being and harmony of others. You are observing it in me right now. Um, And INFJs will be very quick to offer whatever wisdom they have accumulated to others if they perceive that it will be of some good to them, even if this means doing so on a podcast or something like that. Actually, many INFJs are natural teachers and will be teaching even if that's not their career title. They're fond, in general, as I am, of helping others to grow. Even though INFJs are predominantly self referencing in their worldview systems, thanks to LEAD NI, this can be and often is quickly overruled by their auxiliary FE, extroverted feeling. This FE means that the INFJ is typically very adept at feeling what they have observed in others, and it's no surprise then that many INFJs resort to the role of being counsellors, whether formally or informally. Their SE gives them immediate concrete info, while NI gives them a big picture view within which they can situate the concrete experiences of others. INFJs are usually compassionate, unless too frequently wounded, in which case they can be rather bitter souls, like Schopenhauer, as I mentioned. And a lot of INFJs are actually almost certainly quite apologetic in a way. They will often apologize to others for things that are not anyone's fault. Um, Somehow the INFJ feels very responsible for the life situations of others, and it's something that the INFJ has to learn to let go of. Which brings me back to NI. NI is not just tracking the internal workings of the INFJ, but somehow coupled with inferior SE and auxiliary FE, is also tracking the internal workings of others, in fact, all others around them. This happens mostly unconsciously, but the INFJ will be prone to, as it were, reading the minds of others, especially at the emotional level, but also with regard to more conceptual insights. The INFJ may remark on the emotional state of others who they've been speaking to for 30 seconds as if they've just had a conversation of two hours and this can be met with absolute incredulity. How in the world could they possibly know so much on the basis of so little information? Of course, it is possible for them to be incorrect in their assessments and judgments, but the degree of accuracy can be a little startling to others because it sometimes comes across as a kind of ESP. And while all of this may seem pretty cool, because it 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 can actually read a little bit like a magic trick, there is a significant downside fe this is coupled with that inferior se because they're both orientated towards the external world is picking up what everyone is feeling and it's making it the issue or the problem the infj's problem so when i've experienced this it's, it's almost like being held at gunpoint there's a kind of internal pressure that in a way, wants to force me to sort out everyone else's needs without necessarily bothering to ask me what I need. But just recognizing this and seeing which cognitive functions are at work helps me to triangulate better ways of dealing with things. My job is to remember that everyone is responsible for themselves, and so I'm better these days at using my FE to consider how I can encourage people to solve their own problems. Not always, mind you. I still have some growing to do. But in general, whatever your type might be, it helps to notice your auxiliary function. If you can't pinpoint it, it is worth taking the time to figure it out, obviously. But in general, just remember that your auxiliary function will have the opposite attitude to your dominant function. So if you can't even pinpoint what your dominant function is, then at least take the time to consider your natural attitude. If you're an introvert, you need to take more responsibility for real-world, external-world things. And if you're an extrovert, then you need to generally take more responsibility for your inner life. So very briefly, I'll just mention the auxiliary functions of the different types. INPs have auxiliary NE, ITJs have auxiliary TE, ISPs have auxiliary SE, IFJs have auxiliary FE, ENJs have auxiliary NI, ETPs have auxiliary TI, ESJs have auxiliary SI, and EFPs have auxiliary FI. The last function of the INFJ is TI, and I feel already that I've gone on too long, so I'm just going to mention this. It's helped me to notice that my natural tendency is to take fairly large leaps thanks to NI based on what I perceive. Any data means in terms of affecting the well-being of others. So my general stance towards the world, especially when I was younger, was to know that something is wrong and to to sort of act according to that instead of necessarily taking the trouble to figure out the details of what was going on. So it does help me that as I've gotten older, TII has has developed hugely and that, that makes for, well, just much better thinking in general. So just to sum up, once you know your type, in general, it helps to know that A, you're responsible for all of it, the stuff you're good at and the stuff you're bad at. B, then figure out your inferior function. C, understand your dominant function. D, and then figure out how these collaborate with your auxiliary and tertiary functions. Once you have a good sense of this, you can begin to understand some of the issues that you may experience in terms of being in the world and growing as a human being and once you figure that out you can begin to develop a few strategies for yourself in terms of living a more holistic existence but of course you may do what many people do with all of this info and just ignore it i do think though that while this may not be everyone's cup of tea it's still helpful stuff to know and now we have reached the end of this detour series thanks very much for joining me for the detour i hope some of it any of it has been interesting and helpful to you we will get back to the more usual unorthodoxy blend of theology and philosophy in the next episode cheers